Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kinsey Dozinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach. And this is a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. Last week, I gave you the action step of deciding on one habit, one attitude change, and one thing you'd like to change in your marriage, which is what I'll be breaking down for you step-by-step over the next few episodes. If you remember from last week's episode, we talked about how making change that lasts requires approaching it from a systems perspective. And today, we're talking specifically about how to change a habit. And for better context on this episode, when I say change a habit, I'm really talking about forming a new one. Maybe one you've tried in the past that didn't stick, maybe a new one altogether, or maybe a new habit that you hope to use to replace a bad habit you're trying to quit. So whatever habit you've chosen, I want you to bring that to the forefront of your mind right now because I'm going to give you a four-step process and then we'll break each step down. So ready or not, how to form a habit. Number one, find the best fit for you. Number two, plan for success. Number three, expect progress and setbacks as part of the change process. And number four, treat change like an experiment. Okay, first, find the best fit. What that means is consider all the parts that make you you, like what we talked about last week. For example, if you decide you want to learn to walk a tightrope, but you're someone who's afraid of heights and generally lacks balance and coordination, that's probably not the best fit for you in terms of where you are. So if tightrope walking is really a goal you want to hold out for yourself, then find out what your next best step toward that goal is and start your habit there. Maybe it's working on your balance and coordination, in which case you might decide to form a habit of practicing exercises that are good for balance at home. I know that's a random example, but here's how I've used this in my own life. This year, I've decided that I want to start a new habit by doing yoga for 90 days. The reason I chose that length of time is because they say, though the research varies on this, that it takes 21 to 30 days to form a new habit and 60 to 90 days to make it stick. So I chose yoga for 90 days because having grown up as a gymnast, I'm used to working on my strength and flexibility, so I anticipated that that would come easier than other exercises. Additionally, I knew I wouldn't have to leave my house to do yoga and I love the mindfulness piece it brings. So when I considered how yoga would positively impact not only my physical health, but also the other parts of me, my mental and emotional health, that felt like the best fit for me. So a few questions for you to consider as you find the best fit habit for you is how will this habit impact all the parts that make me me? And what's the easiest change I can make that will yield the biggest results. Step number two is plan for success. As I've heard it said before, failing to plan is planning to fail. I know that sounds extreme, but when you understand change from a systems perspective and you realize that we're always being pulled back to our set norm, you begin to see why setting yourself up for success is so important. We have to have structures in place to help us follow through. Because most of the forces around us, including our family members, which we'll get to in another episode, 
will be pulling us back toward our set norm. So as you think about planning for your own success, I want to present you with three things to think about. First, finding your intrinsic motivation. Second, using your natural tendency to help you, not hurt you. And third, organize your environment accordingly. So first, you have to find an intrinsic motivation because that's the only way your new habit will stick long term. Habits have to be tied to an intrinsic motivation, such as meaning, satisfaction, freedom, or inner peace. If they're not, habits don't stick long term. And by the way, do you notice a theme with those intrinsic motivations? They're all wholehearted emotions that lead to fulfillment from the inside out. Extrinsic motivation, on the other hand, include success, attention, profit, and fame. And notice the theme woven throughout those extrinsic motivators. They're empty and elusive benchmarkers that people reach for in hopes that they'll lead to fulfillment when actually they're just external rewards that keep you chasing fulfillment outside of yourself. See, if you're trying to form a new habit and your motivation is attention because you think attention will lead to greater success and greater success will lead to larger profits and larger profits will lead to inner peace or freedom or satisfaction, well, that's where the logic breaks down. Attention is a motivator that exists outside of yourself. And the realization of that reward, or any of the others I mentioned, aren't dependent on you, but on others' valuation of you. So what do you think happens as soon as an extrinsic motivation goes away? Well, there goes your habit. Because when the motivation you're driven by exists outside of you, you'll always be seeking fulfillment from the outside in. When if you would have just started with the emotion you desired in the first place, such as inner peace or freedom, and let that fuel your efforts, you'll avoid so much of the chaos and confusion and discontentment that surrounds trying to make change the other way. So as you think about your own intrinsic motivation, I want you to ask yourself three questions. How do I want to feel intrinsically and long-term as a result of this new habit? Who do I wish to become as I implement this new habit? And as an internal check, do I want to become that person for myself or for someone else? Because we can easily trick ourselves if we're not clear on this question or honest in our answer. And just so you know, I did this check today myself Not with forming a yoga habit, but with other areas in my life, and I'm telling you, it's an important one. Okay, part B of planning for success is using your natural tendency to help you rather than hurt you. And when I say tendency, what I'm referring to here is Gretchen Rubin's work on the four tendencies. If you've never heard of her before, Gretchen Rubin is a researcher who sought to find out how people form habits because habits as she discovered in her earlier research, are embedded in the lives of the happiest people, by self-report. And what she discovered was that people tend to successfully form habits, not according to their own willpower, but instead based on the way they instinctively respond to internal and external expectations, or what Rubin calls the four tendencies. Upholders, obligers, questioners, and rebels. So upholders respond well 
to both internal and external expectations. Obligers respond well to external expectations, but not internal expectations. Questioners respond well to internal expectations, but not external expectations. And finally, rebels don't really respond well to either, meaning rebels need to feel a sense of freedom and spontaneity when it comes to forming habits. What does this mean in practical terms? Well, for example, I am an upholder, so as I sought to form a new habit of practicing yoga for 90 days, I created a monthly spreadsheet where I can hold myself accountable and cross off each day, and I also sought accountability from a fitness coach who checks in with me periodically and encourages me toward my goals. So knowing that I respond well to both internal and external expectations, I set up both to help me succeed. So the idea is to use your natural tendency to help you form a new habit rather than resisting your natural tendency. It's about understanding and self-awareness and using that information to plan for your own success. Thus, if you're an obliger responding well to external expectations but not internal ones, then you would do well to hire a coach or seek strong accountability as you form a new habit. If you're a questioner, on the other hand, then hiring a coach might be the worst thing you could do because your tendency would be to resist external expectations and go your own way on your own terms. For more on the four tendencies, I'll link Gretchen Rubin's website in the show notes, where she's written multiple books about these tendencies and has plenty of information on her website. In part C of planning for success is organize your environment accordingly. A lot of times we try to implement a new behavior or habit without thinking about the environment or context surrounding us, when in reality, that can have a significant impact on our follow-through. Because remember, in thinking about ourselves as systems that interact with our environment, then to the best of our ability, it's important to make sure our environment is working optimally for us. So what's the best time of day? Do I need a designated area or not? What do I need to communicate about the new habit I'm trying to form with others living in my house? Now, I'll tell you a difference I've observed in my office between type A and type B people. Type A's, or J's on the Myers-Briggs if you're familiar with that, seem to need more order and structure in order to feel freed up to form a new habit. Type B's, however, or P's on the Myers-Briggs assessment, seem to need things to feel natural in order for them to feel comfortable. So my desire for a tidy room that's dedicated to my yoga practice might feel stuffy to a type B person who desires spontaneity and the freedom to practice yoga wherever he or she may choose. And I wanted to highlight this difference because it seems to me that there are way more type A personalities teaching and coaching people on habit change which leads us to think there's only one way of doing things, especially when it comes to our own growth. But to my type B people, to those who thrive on creativity and spontaneity, your way of doing things is probably going to be way more fun for you and therefore far easier to implement change than trying to follow the advice of someone who has different values when it comes to organizing their environment. So plan for success and set up your environment in a way that works for who you are. Moving on to step three of forming a new habit, expect progress and setbacks. 
If you've found the best fit for you and you've planned for success, there's no reason not to expect progress toward your goal. But notice I said progress, not perfection. Progress does not say, I have to do this every day, and if I miss a day, I have to start over. Or, if I failed one day, then I might as well quit. That's called all-or-nothing thinking, and some of us can get stuck in that, myself included. But know that taking that posture toward the habit you're trying to form will only ever lead you to stay the same. Because whether you realize it or not, what you're doing when you succumb to all-or-nothing thinking is punishing yourself. And when we do this, we distortedly think that it's going to lead to a fresh start or a blank slate, when in reality, it only serves to further reinforce beliefs of, I'm not good enough, or I don't have what it takes, or if I'm not perfect, I might as well not try. Trust me, I'm familiar with all of those throughout my life. So when it comes to habit formation, all or nothing thinking will only keep you paralyzed and bound by your set norm which is directly opposed to change and growth. So here's what progress looks like. Progress looks like starting a new habit for five minutes a day or one minute a day, if that's where you are. Progress looks like walking when you get tired of running after two minutes, knowing that where you are now is farther along than you were three weeks ago. Progress looks like missing a day and giving yourself grace, not punishment, so that you can keep moving forward in a healthy way. And progress looks like reframing failure as feedback, so that you can hang on to what worked and simply adjust what didn't. And that's why step number three is expecting both progress and setbacks. Because setbacks are nothing more than information. Information that tells you something isn't working within the system and therefore needs to be tweaked. That's it. Which brings me finally to step number four, treating habit change like an experiment. When you accept progress and setbacks as part of your own growth process, failure becomes nothing more than feedback. When you try to change and things happen that you don't expect or anticipate, that's extremely valuable information for you. It's not wasted, it's just part of the process. It's you testing a hypothesis of what you think will work for you by manipulating a certain variable within the system, in our case, trying to form a new habit, and then testing it, drawing conclusions, and refining your hypothesis as you go until you find what works for you so that you can form habits that last. So I hope you're feeling encouraged at the end of this episode and thinking about what changing, forming, or sticking with a habit looks like specifically for you. Your action step for today is to write out these steps and apply them to the changes you're trying to make this year. Again, those four steps of changing a habit are find the best fit, plan for success, expect progress and setbacks as part of the process, and treat change like an experiment. And my prayer for you today is that you'd have courage to start the strength to keep going, and the desire to honor the Lord through your life and all you do. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Love is not a battle. 
was not a bomb. Love is just as fragile as it is.